section ten of report on the investigation into russian interference in the two thousand sixteen presidential election this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by angelique g campbell april two thousand nineteen report on the investigation into russian interference in the two thousand sixteen presidential election by robert muller section ten section five of the report prosecution and declination decisions the appointment order authorized the special counsel's office quote, to prosecute federal crimes arising from its investigation end quote, of the matters assigned to it in deciding whether to exercise this prosecutorial authority the office has been guided by the principles of federal prosecution set forth in the justice formerly u s attorney's manual in particular the office has evaluated whether the conduct of the individuals considered for prosecution constituted a federal offence and whether admissible evidence would probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction for such an offence see justice manual section nine dash two seven point two two zero where the answer to those questions was yes the office further considered whether the prosecution would serve a substantial federal interest the individuals were subject to effective prosecution in another jurisdiction and there existed an adequate non-criminal alternative to prosecution as explained below those considerations led the office to seek charges against two sets of russian nationals for their roles in perpetrating the active measures a social media campaign and computer intrusion operations redacted armed ongoing matter the office similarly determined that the contacts between campaign officials and russian-linked individuals either did not involve the commission of a federal crime or in the case of campaign finance offenses that our evidence was not sufficient to obtain and sustain a criminal conviction at the same time the office concluded that the principles of federal prosecution supported charging certain individuals connected to the campaign with making false statements or otherwise obstructing this investigation or parallel congressional investigations subsection a russian active measures social media campaign on february sixteenth two thousand eighteen a federal grand jury in the district of columbia returned an indictment charging thirteen russian nationals and three russian entities including the internet research agency ira and concord management and consulting llc with violating u s criminal laws in order to interfere with u s elections and political processes the indictment charges all of the defendants with conspiracy to defraud the united states count one three defendants with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and bank fraud count two and five defendants with aggravated identity theft counts three through eight as found in internet research agency indictment concord which is one of the entities charged in the count one conspiracy entered an appearance through u s counsel and moved to dismiss the charge on multiple grounds in orders and memorandum opinions issued on august thirteenth and november fifteenth two thousand eighteen the district court denied concord's motions to dismiss see united states versus concord management and consulting l l c two thousand eighteen as of this writing the prosecution of concord remains ongoing before the u s district court for the district of columbia the other defendants remain at large although members of the internet research agency hereafter known as ira had contact with individuals affiliated with the trump campaign the indictment does not charge any trump campaign official or any other u s person with participating in the conspiracy that is because the investigation did not identify evidence that any u s person who coordinated or communicated with the ira knew that he or she was speaking with russian nationals engaged in the criminal conspiracy the office therefore determined that such persons did not have the knowledge or criminal purpose required to charge them in the conspiracy to defraud the united states count one or in the separate count alleging a wire and bank fraud conspiracy involving the ira and two individual russian nationals count two the office did however charge one u s national for his role in supplying false or stolen bank account numbers that allowed the i r a conspirators to access u s online payment systems by circumventing those systems security features on february twelfth two thousand eighteen richard Pinedo pleaded guilty on february twelfth two thousand eighteen richard Pinedo pleaded guilty 
pursuant to a single count information to identity fraud in violation of united states code title eighteen section one zero two eight section ten twenty eight plea agreement united states versus richard Pinedo, two thousand eighteen the investigation did not establish that Pinedo was aware of the identity of the ira members who purchased bank account numbers from him Pinedo's sales of account numbers enabled the ira members to anonymously access a financial network through which they transacted with u s persons and companies on october tenth two thousand eighteen Pinedo was sentenced to six months of imprisonment to be followed by six months of home confinement and was ordered to complete one hundred hours of community service subsection b russian hacking and dumping operations subsection one section ten thirty computer intrusion conspiracy subsection a background on july thirteenth two thousand eighteen a federal grand jury in the district of columbia returned an indictment charging russian military intelligence officers from the g r u with conspiring to hack into various u s computers used by the clinton campaign d n c d c c and other u s persons in violation of u s code title eighteen sections ten thirty and three seventy one count one committing identity theft and conspiring to commit money laundering in furtherance of that hacking conspiracy in violation of u s code title eighteen sections ten twenty eight and nineteen fifty six resulting in counts two through ten and a separate conspiracy to hack into the computers of u s persons and entities responsible for the administration of the two thousand sixteen u s election in violation of united states code eighteen sections ten thirty and three seventy one leading to count eleven as of this writing all twelve defendants remain at large the Nedekosho indictment alleges that the defendants conspired with one another and with others to hack into the computers of u s persons and entities involved in the two thousand sixteen u s presidential election steal documents from these computers and stage releases of the stolen documents to interfere in the election the indictment also describes how in staging the releases the defendant used the guccifer two point zero persona to disseminate documents through wikileaks on july twenty second two thousand sixteen wikileaks released over twenty thousand emails and other documents that the hacking conspirators had stolen from the dnc in addition on october seventh two thousand sixteen wikileaks began releasing emails that some conspirators had stolen from clinton campaign chairman john podesta after a successful spear phishing operation two instances of redaction for harm to ongoing matter subsection b charging decision as to there are now three instances of harm to ongoing matter redaction with footnote twelve seventy eight as follows embedded within instance three the office also considered but ruled out charges on the theory that the post-hacking sharing and dissemination of emails could constitute trafficking in or receipt of stolen property under the national stolen property act nspa the statutes comprising the NSPA cover, quote, goods, wares, or merchandise, end quote, and lower courts have largely understood that phrase to be limited to tangible items since the Supreme Court's decision in Dowling v. United States, 1985. See also United States v. Yijia Zhang, one of those post-Dowling decisions united states v. brown specifically held that the nspa does not reach quote, a computer program in source code form end quote, even though that code was stored in tangible items in other words a hard disk and in a three-ring notebook congress in turn cited the brown opinion in explaining the need for amendments to u s code title eighteen section ten thirty that would quote, ensure that the theft of intangible information by the unauthorized use of a computer is prohibited in the same way theft of a physical item is protected the sequence of events would make it difficult to argue that hacked emails in electronic form which are the relevant stolen items here constitute quote, goods wares or merchandise end quote within the meaning of the nspa pages one seventy seven and one seventy eight are redacted for harm to ongoing matter page one seventy nine begins with redaction a harm to ongoing matter subsection two potential section ten thirty violation by herein are three blocks of redaction for personal privacy 
see united states versus willis two thousand seven explaining that the nineteen eighty six amendments to section ten thirty reflect congress's desire to reach quote, intentional acts of unauthorized access rather than mistaken inadvertent or careless ones end quote. in addition the computer redaction for personal privacy likely qualifies as a protected one under the statute which reaches quote, effectively all computers with internet access unquote. see united states versus nosel two thousand twelve redaction for personal privacy applying the principles of federal prosecution however the office determined that prosecution of this potential violation was not warranted those principles instruct prosecutors to consider among other things the nature and seriousness of the offence the person's culpability in connection with the offence and the probable sentence to be imposed if the prosecution is successful see justice manual nine dash two seven point two three zero redaction for personal privacy page one eighty begins with redaction for personal privacy subsection c russian government outreach and contacts as explained in section four above the office's investigation uncovered evidence of numerous links in other words contacts between trump campaign officials and individuals having or claiming to have ties to the russian government the office evaluated the contacts under several sets of federal laws including conspiracy laws and statutes governing foreign agents who operate in the united states after considering the available evidence the office did not pursue charges under these statutes against any of the individuals discussed in section four above with the exception of foreign agency registration act fera charges against paul manafort and richard gates based on their activities on behalf of ukraine one of the interactions between the trump campaign and russian affiliated individuals the june nine two thousand sixteen meeting between high-ranking campaign officials and russians promising derogatory information on hillary clinton implicates an additional body of law campaign finance statutes schemes involving the solicitation or receipt of assistance from foreign sources raise difficult statutory and constitutional questions as explained below the office evaluated those questions in connection with the june nine meeting redaction harm to ongoing matter the office ultimately concluded that even if the principal legal questions were resolved favorably to the government a prosecution would encounter difficulties proving that campaign officials or individuals connected to the campaign willfully violated the law finally although the evidence of contacts between campaign officials and russia affiliated individuals may not have been sufficient to establish or sustain criminal charges several u s persons connected to the campaign made false statements about those contacts and took other steps to obstruct the office's investigation and those of congress this office has therefore charged some of those individuals with making false statements and obstructing justice subsection one potential coordination conspiracy and collusion as an initial matter this office evaluated potentially criminal conduct that involved the collective action of multiple individuals not under the rubric of collusion but through the lens of conspiracy law in so doing the office recognized that the word collude appears in the acting attorney general's august second two thousand seventeen memorandum it has frequently been invoked in public reporting and it is sometimes referenced in antitrust law see for example brook group versus brown and williamson tobacco company of nineteen ninety three but collusion is not a specific offense or theory of liability found in the u s code nor is it a term of art in federal criminal law to the contrary even as defined in legal dictionaries collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy as that crime is set forth in the general federal conspiracy statute united states code title eighteen section three seventy one see black's law dictionary page three twenty one tenth edition two thousand fourteen collusion is quote, an agreement to defraud another or to do or obtain something forbidden by law End quote. and as cited in the eighteen seventy one edition of alexander Burrill, a law dictionary and glossary page three eleven Quote, an agreement between two or more persons to defraud another by the forms of law or to employ such forms as means of accomplishing some unlawful object bouvier's law dictionary of the year eighteen ninety seven provides on page three fifty two the definition of collusion as quote, 
an agreement between two or more persons to defraud a person of his rights by the forms of law or to obtain an object forbidden by law end quote. for that reason this office's focus in resolving the question of joint criminal liability was on conspiracy as defined in federal law not the commonly discussed term collusion the office considered in particular whether contacts between trump campaign officials and russia-linked individuals could trigger liability for the crime of conspiracy either under statutes that have their own conspiracy language for example u s code title eighteen sections thirteen forty nine and nineteen fifty one or under the general conspiracy statute u s code title eighteen section three seventy one the investigation did not establish that the contacts described in volume one section four above amounted to an agreement to commit any substantive violation of federal criminal law including foreign influence and campaign finance laws both of which are discussed further below the office therefore did not charge any individual associated with the trump campaign with conspiracy to commit a federal offense arising from russia contacts either under a specific statute or under section three seventy one's offenses clause the office also did not charge any campaign official or associate with a conspiracy under section three seventy one's defraud clause that clause criminalizes participating in an agreement to obstruct a lawful function of the u s government or its agencies through deceitful or dishonest means see dennis versus united states in nineteen sixty six hammerschmidt versus united states in nineteen twenty four and united states versus concord management and consulting l l c two thousand eighteen the investigation did not establish any agreement among campaign officials or between such officials and russia-linked individuals to interfere with or obstruct a lawful function of a government agency during the campaign or transition period and as discussed in volume one section five above the investigation did not identify evidence that any campaign official or associate knowingly and intentionally participated in the conspiracy to defraud that the office charged namely the active measures conspiracy described in volume one section two above accordingly the office did not charge any campaign associate or other u s person with conspiracy to defraud the united states based on the russia related contacts described in section four above subsection two potential coordination foreign agent statutes fara and u s title eighteen section nine fifty one the office next assessed the potential liability of campaign-affiliated individuals under federal statutes regulating actions on behalf of or work done for a foreign government subsection a governing law under u s code title eighteen section nine fifty one it is generally illegal to act in the united states as an agent of a foreign government without providing notice to the attorney general although the defendant must act on behalf of a foreign government as opposed to other kinds of foreign entities the acts need not involve espionage rather acts of any type suffice for liability see united states v duran in two thousand ten united states v latchin in two thousand nine united states v dumessi in two thousand five a quote, agent of a foreign government is a individual who agrees to operate in the united states subject to the direction or control of a foreign government or official end quote. see united states code title eighteen section nine fifty one the crime defined by section nine fifty one is complete upon knowingly acting in the united states as an unregistered foreign government agent the united states does not require willfulness and knowledge of the notification requirement is not an element of the offense see united states v campa of two thousand eight the foreign agents registration act or fera generally makes it illegal to act as an agent of a foreign principal by engaging in certain largely political activities in the united states without registering with the attorney general united states code title twenty two section six eleven through six twenty one the triggering agency relationship must be with a foreign principal or a quote a person any of whose activities are directly or indirectly supervised directed controlled financed or subsidized in whole or in major part by a foreign principal end quote that includes a foreign government or political party and various foreign individuals and entities a covered relationship exists if a person quote, acts as an agent representative employee or servant end quote, or 
quote, in any other capacity at the order request or under the foreign principal's direction or control end quote. it is sufficient if the person quote, agrees consents assumes or purports to act as or who is or holds himself out to be whether or not pursuant to contractual relationship an agent of a foreign principal end quote. see u s code title twenty two section six eleven the triggering activity is that the agent quote, directly or through any other person end quote, in the united states one engages in quote, political activities for or in the interest of the foreign principal end quote, which includes attempts to influence federal officials of the public two acts as quote, public relations counsel publicity agent information service employee or political consultant for or in the interest of such foreign principal end quote. three quote, solicits collects distributes or dispenses contributions loans money or other things of value for or in the interest of such foreign principal end quote. or four quote, represents the interest of such foreign principal end quote before any federal agency or official see u s code title twenty two section six eleven it is a crime to engage in a quote, willful violation of any provision of the act or any regulation thereunder end quote. it is also a crime willfully to make false statements or omission of material facts and bearer registration statements or supplements most violations have a maximum penalty of five years of imprisonment and a ten thousand dollar fine see united states code title twenty two section six eighteen subsection b application the investigation uncovered extensive evidence that paul manafort's and richard gates pre-campaign work for the government of ukraine violated FARA. Manafort and Gates were charged for that conduct and admitted to it when they pleaded guilty to superseding criminal information in the District of Columbia prosecution. The evidence underlying those charges is not addressed in this report because it was discussed in public court documents and in a separate prosecution memorandum submitted to the acting attorney general before the original indictment in that case. In addition, the investigation produced evidence of Foreign Agents Registration Act violations involving Michael Flynn. Those potential violations, however, concerned a country other than Russia, in other words, Turkey, and were resolved when Flynn admitted to the underlying facts in the statement of offense that accompanied his guilty plea to a false statements charge. See United States v. Michael T. Flynn, December 1, 2017, known as Flynn's Statement of Offense. The investigation did not, however, yield evidence sufficient to sustain any charge that any individual affiliated with the Trump campaign acted as an agent of a foreign principal within the meaning of FARA or, in terms of Section 951, subject to the direction or control of the government of Russia or any official thereof. In particular, the office did not find evidence likely to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that campaign officials such as Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, and Carter Page acted as agents of the Russian government or at its direction, control, or request during the relevant time period. Footnote 1282 states, On four occasions, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court Fisk, issued warrants based on a finding of probable cause to believe that Page was an agent of a foreign power. The Fisk's probable cause finding was based on a different and lower standard than the one governing the office's decision whether to bring charges against Page, which is whether admissible evidence would likely be sufficient to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Page acted as an agent of the Russian Federation during the period at issue see united states versus cordoza of two thousand thirteen explaining that probable cause requires only a quote, a fair probability unquote, and not quote, certainty or proof beyond a reasonable doubt or proof by preponderance of the evidence unquote. end footnote begin redaction personal privacy as a result the office did not charge redaction personal privacy or any other trump campaign official with violating fara or section nine fifty one or attempting or conspiring to do so based on contacts with the russian government or a russian principal finally the office investigated whether one of the above campaign advisers george papadopoulos acted as an agent of or at the direction and control of the government of israel 
while the investigation revealed significant ties between papadopoulos and israel and search warrants were obtained in part on that basis the office ultimately determined that the evidence was not sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction under fera or section nine fifty one subsection three campaign finance several areas of the office's investigation involved efforts or offers by foreign nationals to provide negative information about candidate clinton to the trump campaign or to distribute that information to the public to the anticipated benefit of the campaign as explained below the office considered whether two of those efforts in particular a june nine two thousand sixteen meeting at trump tower redaction harm to ongoing matter constituted prosecutable violations of the campaign finance laws the office determined that the evidence was not sufficient to charge either incident as a criminal violation subsection a overview of governing law quote, the united states has a compelling interest in limiting the participation of foreign citizens in activities of democratic self-government and in thereby preventing foreign influence over the u s political process end quote, of blumen versus f e c of two thousand eleven to that end federal campaign finance law broadly prohibits foreign nationals from making contributions donations expenditures or other disbursements in connection with federal state or local candidate elections and prohibits anyone from soliciting accepting or receiving such contributions or donations as relevant here foreign nationals may not make and no one may quote, solicit accept or receive from them a contribution or donation of money or other thing of value or an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in connection with a federal state or local election End quote of source u s code title fifty two section three zero one twenty one the term contribution which is used throughout the campaign finance law includes quote, any gift subscription loan advance or deposit of money or anything of value made by any person for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office it excludes among other things quote, the value of volunteer services end quote, of u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero one foreign nationals are also barred from making quote, an expenditure independent expenditure or disbursement for an electioneering communication the term expenditure includes any purchase payment distribution loan advance deposit or gift of money or anything of value made by any person for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office end quote, of u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero one it excludes among other things news stories and nonpartisan get out the vote activities a quote, independent expenditure is an expenditure expressly advocating the election or defeat of a clearly identified candidate and made independently of the campaign an electioneering communication is a broadcast communication that refers to a clearly identified candidate for federal office End quote, and is made within specified time periods and targeted at the relevant electorate according to united states code title fifty two section three zero one zero four the statute defines foreign national by reference to fera and the immigration and nationality act with minor modification according to u s code title fifty two section three zero one twenty one cross-referencing united states code titles twenty two and eight that definition yields five sometimes overlapping categories of foreign nationals which include all of the individuals and entities relevant for present purposes namely foreign governments and political parties individuals outside of the u s who are not legal permanent residents and certain non-U.S. entities located outside of the U.S. A, quote, knowing and willful, end quote, violation involving an aggregate of $25,000 or more in a calendar year is a felony. See United States Code, Title 52, Section 30109. See also Blumen, Federal Supplement 800, noting that a willful violation will require some, quote, 
proof of the defendant's knowledge of the law end quote see united states versus the nelski of two thousand thirteen applying willfulness standard drawn from bryan versus united states of nineteen ninety eight see also wagner versus f e c of two thousand fifteen a knowing and willful violation involving an aggregate of two thousand dollars or more in a calendar year but less than twenty five thousand dollars is a misdemeanor see united states code title fifty two section three zero one zero nine subsection b application to june nine trump tower meeting the office considered whether to charge trump campaign officials with crimes in connection with the june nine meeting described above the office concluded that in light of the government's substantial burden of proof on issues of intent quote, knowing and willful end quote, and the difficulty of establishing the value of the offered information criminal charges would not meet the justice manual's standard that quote, the admissible evidence will probably be sufficient to obtain and sustain a conviction end quote, of justice manual section nine two seven point two two zero in brief the key facts are that on june third two thousand sixteen robert goldstone emailed donald trump jr to pass along from amin and aras alagarov an offer from russia's crown prosecutor to the trump campaign of quote, official documents and information that would incriminate hillary and her dealings with russia and would be very useful to trump jr's father end quote. the email described this as quote, very high-level and sensitive information that is part of russia and its government support of mr trump helped along by aras and amin end quote. trump jr responded quote, if it's what you say i love it especially later in the summer end quote. trump jr and amin agalarov had follow-up conversations and within days scheduled a meeting with russia representatives that was attended by trump jr manafort and kushner the communication setting up the meeting and the attendance by high-level campaign representatives support an inference that the campaign anticipated receiving derogatory documents and information from official russian sources that could assist candidate trump's electoral prospects this series of events could implicate the federal election law ban on contributions and donations by foreign nationals according to u s code title fifty two section three twelve specifically goldstone passed along an offer purportedly from a russian government official to provide quote, official documents and information end quote, to the trump campaign for the purposes of influencing the presidential election trump jr appears to have accepted that offer and to have arranged a meeting to receive those materials documentary evidence in the form of email chain supports the inference that kushner and manafort were aware of that purpose and attended the june nine meeting anticipating the receipt of helpful information to the campaign from russian sources the office considered whether this evidence could establish a conspiracy to violate the foreign contributions ban in violation of u s code title eighteen section three seventy one the solicitation of an illegal foreign source contribution or the acceptance or receipt of quote, an express or implied promise to make a foreign source contribution end quote, both in violation of u s code title fifty two section three zero one two one there are reasonable arguments that the offered information would constitute a quote, thing of value end quote, within the meaning of these provisions but the office determined that the government would not be likely to obtain and sustain a conviction for two other reasons first the office did not obtain admissible evidence likely to meet the government's burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that these individuals acted quote, willfully unquote in other words with general knowledge of the illegality of their conduct and second the government would likely encounter difficulty in proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the value of the promised information exceeded the threshold for a criminal violation see u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero nine subsection one thing of value element a threshold legal question is whether providing to a campaign quote, documents and information unquote. the type involved here would constitute a prohibited campaign contribution the foreign contribution ban is not limited to contributions of money it expressly prohibits quote, a contribution or donation of money or other thing of value end quote. see u s code title fifty two section three zero one two one 
and the term contribution is defined throughout the campaign finance laws to quote, include any gift subscription loan advance or deposit of money or anything of value end quote. see u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero one the phrases thing of value and anything of value are broad and inclusive enough to encompass at least some forms of valuable information throughout the united states code these phrases serve as quote, terms of art that are construed broadly end quote. see united states versus nielsen of nineteen ninety two quote, thing of value includes both tangibles and intangibles end quote. see also for example u s code title eighteen sections two o one and six 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 bribery statutes edom section six forty one theft of government property for example the term thing of value encompasses law enforcement reports that would reveal the identity of informants such as in united states versus gerard of nineteen seventy nine classified materials such as found in united states versus fowler of nineteen ninety one confidential information about a competitive bid referenced in united states versus matskin of nineteen ninety four secret grand jury information United States versus Jetter, 1985, and information about a witness's whereabouts, United States versus Shecker, of 1980. And in the public corruption context, thing of value is defined broadly to include the value which the defendant subjectively attaches to the items received, United States versus Renzi, of 2014. Federal Election Commission regulations recognize the value to a campaign of at least some forms of information, stating that the term anything of value includes, quote, the provision of any goods or services without charge, such as membership lists and mailing lists, end quote. Code of Federal Regulations, Section 100.52. The FEC has concluded that the phrase includes a state-by-state -state list of activists. See Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington versus FEC. Likewise, polling data provided to a campaign constitutes a contribution, FEC Advisory Opinion 1990-12. And, in the specific context of the foreign contributions ban, the FEC has concluded that, quote, election materials used in previous Canadian campaigns, including flyers, advertisements, door hangers, trifolds, signs, and other printed material, constitutes anything of value, even though the value of these materials may be nominal or difficult to ascertain, end quote. FEC Advisory Opinion 2007-22. These authorities would support the view that candidate-related opposition research given to a campaign for the purpose of influencing an election could constitute a contribution to which the foreign source ban could apply. A campaign can be assisted not only by the provision of funds, but also by the provision of derogatory information about an opponent. Political campaigns frequently conduct and pay for opposition research. A foreign entity that engaged in such research and provided resulting information to a campaign could exert a greater effect on an election and a greater tendency to ingratiate the donor to the candidate than a gift of money or tangible things of value. At the same time, no judicial decision has treated the voluntary provision of uncompensated opposition research or similar information as a thing of value that could amount to a contribution under campaign finance law. Such an interpretation could have implications beyond the foreign source ban. See U.S. Code, Title 52, Section 30116, imposing monetary limits on campaign contributions, and raise first amendment questions. Those questions could be especially difficult where the information consisted simply of the recounting of historically accurate facts. It is uncertain how courts would resolve those issues. Subsection 2. Willfulness. Even assuming that the promised, quote, documents and information that would incriminate hillary end quote, constituted a thing of value under campaign finance law the government would encounter other challenges in seeking to obtain and sustain a conviction most significantly the government has not obtained admissible evidence that is likely to establish the scienta requirement beyond a reasonable doubt to prove that a defendant acted knowingly and willfully, the government would have to show that the defendant had general knowledge that his conduct was unlawful. See U.S. Department of Justice, Federal Prosecution of Election Offenses, 123, 8th edition, December 2017. Election Offenses. See Blumen, Federal Supplement, 800. Noting that a willful violation requires, quote, 
proof of the defendant's knowledge of the law denelsic federal supplement nine seventeen quote, knowledge of general unlawfulness end quote quoting election offenses one twenty three quote, this standard creates an elevated scienter element requiring at the very least the application of the law to the facts in question be fairly clear when there is substantial doubt concerning whether the law applies to the facts of a particular matter the offender is more likely to have an intent defense on the facts here the government would unlikely be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the june nine meeting participants had general knowledge that their conduct was unlawful the investigation has not developed evidence that the participants in the meeting were familiar with the foreign contribution ban or the application of federal law to the relevant factual context the government does not have strong evidence of surreptitious behavior or efforts at concealment at the time of the june nine meeting while the government has evidence of later efforts to prevent disclosure of the nature of the june nine meeting that could circumstantially provide support for a showing of scienter that concealment occurred more than a year later involved individuals who did not attend the june nine meeting and may reflect an intention to avoid political consequences rather than any prior knowledge of illegality additionally in light of the unresolved legal questions about whether giving documents and information of the sort offered here constitutes a campaign contribution trump jr could mount a factual defense that he did not believe his response to the offer and the june nine meeting itself violated the law given his less direct involvement in arranging the june nine meeting kushner could likely mount a similar defense and while manafort is experienced with political campaigns the office has not developed evidence showing that he had relevant knowledge of these legal issues subsection three difficulties in valuing promised information the office would also encounter difficulty proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the value of the promised documents and information exceeds the two thousand dollar threshold for a criminal violation as well as the twenty five thousand dollar threshold for felony punishment see u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero nine the type of evidence commonly used to establish the value of non-monetary contributions such as pricing the contribution on a commercial market or determining the upstream acquisition cost or the cost of distribution would likely be unavailable or ineffective in this factual setting although damaging opposition research is surely valuable to a campaign it appears that the information ultimately delivered in the meeting was not valuable and while value in a conspiracy may well be measured by what the participants expected to receive at the time of the agreement see for example united states versus trombello of 1982 goldstone's description of the offered material here was quite general his suggestion of the information's value that it would quote incriminate hillary and would be very useful to trump jr's father unquote was not specific and may have been understood as being of uncertain worth or reliability given goldstone's lack of direct access to the original source the uncertainty over what would be delivered could be reflected in trump jr's response quote if it's what you say i love it End quote. accordingly taking into account the high burden to establish a culpable mental state in a campaign finance prosecution and the difficulty in establishing the required valuation the office decided not to pursue criminal campaign finance charges against trump jr or other campaign officials for the events culminating in the june nine meeting subsection c application to redacted harm to ongoing matter with a second redaction for harm to ongoing matter ends page one eighty eight the entirety of page one eighty nine is redacted for harm to ongoing matter subsection two willfulness as discussed to establish a criminal campaign finance violation the government must prove that the defendant acted knowingly and willfully u s code title fifty two section three zero one zero nine that standard requires proof that the defendant knew generally that his conduct was unlawful see election offenses one two three given the uncertainties noted above the willfulness requirement would pose a substantial barrier to prosecution subsection three constitutional considerations finally the first amendment could pose constraints on a prosecution the rest of the text is redacted for harm to ongoing matter section four analysis as to redaction harm to ongoing matter page ninety one begins with redaction for harm to ongoing matter subsection four false statements and obstruction of the investigation the office determined that certain individuals associated with the campaign lied to investigators about campaign contacts with russia and have taken other actions to interfere with the investigation 
as explained below the office therefore charged some u s persons connected to the campaign with false statements and obstruction offences subsection a overview of governing law false statements the principal federal statute criminalizing false statements to government investigators is u s code title eighteen section one zero zero one as relevant here under section one zero zero one it is a crime to knowingly and willfully quote, make any materially false fictitious or fraudulent statement or representation in any matter within the jurisdiction of the executive branch of the government end quote. an fbi investigation is a matter within the executive branch's jurisdiction see united states versus rogers of the year nineteen eighty four the statute also applies to a subset of legislative branch actions namely administrative matters and quote, investigations or reviews end quote, conducted by a congressional committee or subcommittee see u s code title eighteen section one zero zero one see also united states versus pickett of two thousand and four whether the statement was made to law enforcement or congressional investigators the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt the same basic non-jurisdictional elements the statements were false fictitious or fraudulent the defendants knew both that it was false and that it was unlawful to make a false statement and the false statement was material see united states v smith of two thousand seventeen listing elements see also ninth circuit pattern instruction eight point seven three and comment explaining that the section one zero zero one jury instruction was modified in light of the department of justice's position that the phrase knowingly and willfully in the statute requires the defendant's knowledge that his or her conduct was unlawful in the d c circuit the government must prove that the statement was actually false a statement that is misleading but literally true does not satisfy section one zero zero one see united states v milton d c circuit nineteen ninety three united states v dale d c circuit nineteen ninety three for that false statement to qualify as material it must have a natural tendency to influence or be capable of influencing a discreet decision or any other function of the agency to which it is addressed see united states v Gordon in year nineteen ninety five united states v moore d c circuit two thousand ten perjury under the federal perjury statutes it is a crime for a witness testifying under oath before a grand jury to knowingly make any false material declaration see u s code title eighteen section sixteen twenty three the government must prove four elements beyond a reasonable doubt to obtain a conviction under section one six two three the defendant testified under oath before federal grand jury the defendant's testimony was false in one or more respects the false testimony concerned matters that were material to the grand jury investigation and the false testimony was knowingly given see united states v bridges d c circuit nineteen eighty three the general perjury statute u s code title eighteen section sixteen twenty one also applies to grand jury testimony and has similar elements except that it requires that the witnesses have acted willfully and that the government satisfy quote, strict common law requirements for establishing falsity end quote. see dunn versus united states nineteen seventy nine explaining quote, a two witness rule end quote, and the corroboration that it demands obstruction of justice three basic elements are common to the obstruction statutes pertinent to this office's charging decisions an obstructive act some form of nexus between the obstructive act and an official proceeding and criminal meaning corrupt intent a detailed discussion of those elements and the law governing obstruction of justice most generally is included in volume two of the report subsection b application to certain individuals subsection one george papadopoulos investigators approached papadopoulos for an interview based on his role as a foreign policy adviser to the trump campaign and his suggestion to a foreign government representative that russia had indicated that it could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information damaging to candidate clinton 
on january twenty seventh two thousand seventeen papadopoulos agreed to be interviewed by fbi agents who informed him that the interview was part of the investigation into potential russian government interference in the two thousand sixteen presidential election during the interview papadopoulos lied about the timing extent and nature of his communications with joseph mifsud ogopolanskaya and ivan timoviev with respect to timing papadopoulos acknowledged that he had met mifsud and that mifsud had told him that the russians had dirt on clinton in the form of thousands of emails but papadopoulos stated multiple times that those communications occurred before he joined the trump campaign and that it was a quote, very strange coincidence unquote, to be told of the dirt before he started working for the campaign this account was false papadopoulos met mifsud for the first time on approximately march fourteenth two thousand sixteen after papadopoulos had already learned he would be a foreign policy adviser for the campaign mifsud showed interest in papadopoulos only after learning of his role on the campaign and mifsud told papadopoulos about the russians possessing dirt on candidate clinton in late april two thousand sixteen more than a month after papadopoulos had joined the campaign and been publicly announced by candidate trump statement of offense united states versus george papadopoulos document nineteen known as papadopoulos statement of offense papadopoulos also made false statements in an effort to minimize the extent and importance of his communications with mifsud for example papadopoulos stated that quote, mifsud's a nothing unquote, that he thought mifsud was quote, just a guy talking up connections or something end quote, and that he believed mifsud was quote, bsing to be completely honest with you end quote in fact however papadopoulos understood mifsud to have substantial connections to high-level russian government officials and that mifsud spoke with some of those officials in moscow before telling papadopoulos about the dirt papadopoulos also engaged in extensive communications over a period of months with mifsud about foreign policy issues for the campaign including efforts to arrange a quote, history-making meeting between the campaign and russian government nationals in addition papadopoulos failed to inform the investigators that mifsud had introduced him to timoviev the russian national who papadopoulos understood to be connected to the russian ministry of foreign affairs despite being asked if he had met with russian officials or quote, anyone with a russian accent end quote, during the campaign see papadopoulos statement of offense papadopoulos also falsely claimed that he met polonskaya before he joined the campaign and falsely told the fbi that he had no relationship at all with her he stated that the extent of their communications was her sending emails quote, just hi how are you that's it End quote. in truth however papadopoulos met polonskaya on march twenty fourth two thousand sixteen after he had joined the campaign he believed that she had connections to high-level russian government officials and could help him arrange a potential foreign policy trip to russia during the campaign he emailed and spoke with her over skype on numerous occasions about the potential foreign policy trip to russia papadopoulos's false statements in january two thousand seventeen impeded the fbi's investigation into russian interference in the two thousand sixteen presidential election most immediately those statements hindered investigators ability to effectively question mifsud when he was interviewed in the lobby of a washington d c hotel on february tenth two thousand seventeen see united states versus george papadopoulos during that interview mifsud admitted to knowing papadopoulos and to having introduced him to polonskaya and timoviev but mifsud denied that he had advanced knowledge that russia was in possession of emails damaging to candidate clinton stating that he and papadopoulos had discussed cybersecurity and hacking as a larger issue and that papadopoulos must have misunderstood their conversation mifsud also falsely stated that he had not seen papadopoulos since the meeting at which mifsud introduced him to polonskaya even though emails text messages and other information show that mifsud met with papadopoulos on at least two other occasions april twelfth and april twenty sixth two thousand sixteen in addition mifsud admitted that he had drafted or edited the follow-up message that polonskaya sent to papadopoulos following the initial meeting and that as reflected in the language of that email chain which was quote, baby thank you end quote. mifsud may have been involved in a personal relationship with polonskaya at the time 
the false information and admissions in papadopoulos's january two thousand seventeen interview undermined investigators ability to challenge mifsud when he made these inaccurate statements given the seriousness of the lies and omissions and their effect on the fbi's investigation the office charged papadopoulos with making false statements to the fbi in violation of u s code title eighteen section one zero zero one information united states versus george papadopoulos on october seventh two thousand seventeen papadopoulos pleaded guilty to that charge pursuant to a plea agreement on september seventh two thousand eighteen he was sentenced to fourteen days of imprisonment a nine thousand five hundred dollar fine and two hundred hours of community service subsection two redacted for personal privacy here are two blocks of grand jury redacted text subsection three michael flynn michael flynn agreed to be interviewed by the fbi on january twenty fourth two thousand seventeen four days after he had officially assumed his duties as national security adviser to the president during the interview flynn made several false statements pertaining to his communications with the russian ambassador first flynn made two false statements about his conversations with russian ambassador kislyak in late december two thousand sixteen at a time when the united states had imposed sanctions on russia for interfering with the two thousand sixteen presidential election and russia was considering its response see flynn's statement of offense flynn told the agents that he did not ask kislyak to refrain from escalating the situation in response to the united states imposition of sanctions that statement was false on december twenty ninth two thousand sixteen flynn called kislyak to request russian restraint flynn made the call immediately after speaking to a senior transition team official k t mcfarland about what to communicate to kislyak flynn then spoke with mcfarland again after the kislyak call to report on the substance of that conversation flynn also falsely told the fbi that he did not remember a follow-up conversation in which kislyak stated that russia had chosen to moderate its response to the u s sanction as a result of flynn's request on december thirty first two thousand sixteen flynn in fact had such a conversation with kislyak and he again spoke with mcfarland within hours of the call to relay the substance of his conversation with kislyak see flynn's statement of offense second flynn made false statements about calls he had previously made to representatives of russia and other countries regarding a resolution submitted by egypt to the united nations security council on december twenty first two thousand sixteen specifically flynn stated that he only asked the country's positions on how they would vote on the resolution and that he did not request that any of the countries take any particular action on the resolution that statement was false on december twenty second two thousand sixteen flynn called kislyak informed him of the incoming trump administration's opposition to the resolution and requested that russia vote against or delay the resolution flynn also falsely stated that kislyak never described russia's response to his december twenty second request regarding the resolution kislyak in fact told flynn in a conversation on december twenty third two thousand sixteen that russia would not vote against the resolution if it came to a vote flynn made these false statements to the fbi at a time when he was serving as national security adviser and when the fbi had an open investigation into russian interference in the two thousand sixteen presidential election including the nature of any links between the trump campaign and russia flynn's false statements and omissions impeded and otherwise had a material impact on that ongoing investigation flynn's statement of offense they also came shortly before flynn made separate submissions to the department of justice pursuant to foreign agents registration act or fera that also contained materially false statements and omissions based on the totality of that conduct the office decided to charge flynn with making false statements to the fbi in violation of u s code title eighteen section one zero zero one on december first two thousand seventeen and pursuant to a plea agreement flynn pleaded guilty to that charge and also admitted his false statements to the department in his vera filing see plea agreement united states v michael t flynn december first two thousand seventeen as of this report date april two thousand nineteen flynn is awaiting sentencing subsection four michael cohen michael cohen was the executive vice president and special counsel to the trump organization when trump was president of the trump organization see united states versus cohen two thousand eighteen known as cohen information 
from the fall of 2015 through approximately June 2016, Cohen was involved in a project to build a Trump-branded tower and adjoining development in Moscow. The project was known as Trump Tower Moscow. In 2017, Cohen was called to testify before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, or HPSCI, and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, SSCI, both of which were investigating Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election and possible links between Russia and the presidential campaigns. In late August 2017, in advance of his testimony, Cohen caused a two-page statement to be sent to SSCI and HPSCI addressing Trump Tower Moscow. The letter contained three representations relevant here. First, Cohen stated that the Trump Moscow project had ended in January 2016 and that he had briefed candidate Trump on the project only three times before making the unilateral decision to terminate it. Second, Cohen represented that he had never agreed to travel to Russia in connection with the project and never considered asking Trump to travel for the project. Third, Cohen stated that he did not recall any Russian government contact about the project, including any response to an email he had sent to a Russian government email account. Cohen later asked that his two-page statement be incorporated into his testimony's transcript before SSCI, and he ultimately gave testimony to SSCI that was consistent with that statement. Each of the foregoing representations in Cohen's two-page statements was false and misleading. Consideration of the project had extended through approximately June 2016 and included more than three progress reports from Cohen to Trump. Cohen had discussed with Felix Sater his own travel to Russia as part of the project, and he had inquired about the possibility of Trump traveling there, both with the candidate himself and with senior campaign official Corey Lewandowski. Cohen did recall that he had received a response to the email that he sent to Russian government spokesman Dmitry Peskov, in particular that he had received an email reply and had a follow-up phone conversation with an English-speaking assistant to Peskov in mid-January 2016. Cohen knew the statements in the letter to be false at the time and admitted that he had made them in an effort, one, to minimize the link between the project and Trump, who was by this time president, and two, to give the false impression that the project had ended before the first vote in the Republican Party primary process in the hopes of limiting the ongoing Russia investigations. Given the nature of the false statements and the fact that he repeated them during his initial interview with the office, we charged Cohen with violating Section 1001. On November 29, 2018, Cohen pleaded guilty pursuant to a plea agreement to a single-count information charging him with making false statements in a matter within the jurisdiction of the legislative branch in violation of U.S. Code Title 18, Section 1001. The case was transferred to the district judge presiding over the separate prosecution of Cohen pursued by the Southern District of New York after a referral from our office. On December 7, 2018, this office submitted a letter to that judge recommending that Cohen's cooperation with our investigation be taken into account in sentencing Cohen on both the false statements charge and the offenses in the Southern District prosecution. On December 12, 2018, the judge sentenced Cohen to two months of imprisonment on the false statements count to run concurrently with the 36-month sentence imposed on the other counts. Subsection 5. Redacted for Harm to Ongoing Matter. Page 197 has three blocks of redacted material until approximately the last one-eighth of page where we pick up. Subsection 6. Jeff Sessions. As set forth in Volume 1, Section 4, above, the investigation established that, while a U.S. Senator and a Trump campaign advisor, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions interacted with Russian Ambassador Kislyak during the week of the Republican National Convention in July 2016 and again at a meeting in Sessions' Senate office in September 2016. The investigation also established that Sessions and Kislyak both attended a reception held before candidate Trump's foreign policy speech at the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. in April 2016 and that it is possible that they met briefly at that reception. The office considered whether, in light of these interactions, Sessions committed perjury before, or made false statements to, Congress in connection with his confirmation as Attorney General. In January 2017, testimony during his confirmation hearing, Sessions stated in response to a question about Trump campaign communications with the Russian government that he had, quote, 
been called a surrogate a time or two in that campaign and i didn't have did not have communications with the russians in written responses submitted on january seventeenth two thousand seventeen sessions answered quote, no end quote, to a question asking whether he had quote, been in contact with anyone connected to any part of the russian government about the two thousand sixteen election either before or after election day end quote. and in a march two thousand seventeen supplement to his testimony sessions identified two of the campaign period contacts with ambassador kislyak noted above which had been reported in the media following the january two thousand seventeen confirmation hearing sessions stated in the supplemental response that he did quote, not recall any discussions with the russian ambassador or any other representatives of the russian government regarding the political campaign on these occasions or any other occasion End quote. although the investigation established that sessions interacted with kislyak on the occasions described above and that kislyak mentioned the presidential campaign on at least one occasion the evidence is not sufficient to prove that sessions gave knowingly false answers to russian related questions in light of the wording and context of those questions with respect to sessions statements that he did quote, not recall any discussions with the russian ambassador regarding the political campaign end quote, and he had not been in contact with any russian official quote, about the two thousand sixteen election End quote. The evidence concerning the nature of Sessions' interactions with Kislyak makes it plausible that Sessions did not recall discussing the campaign with Kislyak at the time of his statements. Similarly, while Sessions stated in his January 2017 oral testimony that he, quote, did not have communications with Russians, end quote, he did so in response to a question that had linked such communications to an alleged, quote, continuing exchange of information end quote, between the trump campaign and russian government intermediaries sessions later explained to the senate and to the office that he understood the question as narrowly calling for disclosure of interactions with russians that involved the exchange of campaign information as distinguished from more routine contacts with russian nationals given the context in which the question was asked that understanding is plausible accordingly the office concluded that the evidence was insufficient to prove that sessions was willfully untruthful in his answers and thus insufficient to obtain or sustain a conviction for perjury or false statements consistent with the principles of federal prosecution the office therefore determined not to pursue charges against sessions and informed his counsel of that decision in march two thousand eighteen subsection seven others interviewed during the investigation the office considered whether during the course of the investigation other individuals interviewed either omitted material information or provided information determined to be false applying the principles of federal prosecution the office did not seek criminal charges against any individuals other than those listed above in some instances that decision was due to evidentiary hurdles to proving falsity in others the office determined that the witness ultimately provided truthful information and that consideration of culpability deterrence and resource preservation weighed against prosecution the remainder of page one ninety nine is redacted for matters related to personal privacy and grand jury end of section ten recording by angelique g campbell april two thousand nineteen